Hi there, this is Pastor Tim. I'm the minister at Eastside Church. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, and inclusive. And we are thrilled that you found our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, you can visit us at www.eastsideatl.org. Well, again, friends, good morning. Some of you know that over the past two Sundays, and I mentioned this in the introduction, but we have been experiencing some some challenges, if you will, with our internet here at the church. And as a way to mitigate any further disruption, this morning we have recorded our service from beginning to end earlier in the week so that um, as we get our internet situation worked out, you all will not experience some of the frustrations that we know have been um, taking place over the last two Sundays. And if you are a guest with us, um, I know that I speak on behalf of the congregation and the staff. We hope that you have felt as warmly welcomed as you possibly can be in this sort of alternate universe of digital worship, this strange way of being church together. We hope that you have felt included and welcomed. And again, we do want to know you're here. So if you would just take a minute and fill out the the check-in form that's in the comments, um, that just gives us a chance to say thank you. And again, to you Eastsiders, uh, please, please take a minute and fill those out. And to the guests, if, if you have experienced our community through uh, digital worship, through this online platform, uh, our community yearns for the time of the day in the future when we can gather with you in body in our sanctuary at Eastside, where we can greet you at our rainbow doors off Moreland Avenue and welcome you into the fellowship. And together, collectively, we all continue to pray for and long for that day. Well, normally I would do a bit of an introduction um, for the reading I'm about to jump into, but my message is going to come back and reference and do some of that introductory work as I work through my sermon. So this morning, we're going to jump right in, and we're going to be reading from the Apostle Paul's letter to the ancient church in Galatia. And in this letter, Paul is essentially letting this community in on a truth, a reality, a dimension about the work of God's spirit and God's intentions for our lives as individuals, in addition to the profound exterior work that God is doing at Pentecost and through the work of the apostles. There's also this really important inward reality that Paul wants this ancient church community and subsequent church communities to begin to wrap our minds around. And he speaks to this inward reality as the fruits of the Spirit. From Galatians 5, beginning in verse 22, Paul writes, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God, and all God's people typed, thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, I pray that in this time, in these moments... You would continue to speak through the movements of this liturgy, through these words that I have prepared, God. I pray that where necessary, your spirit would do the work of translation. 
God, I ask that you'd speak through these words, through this message, and where necessary, God, speak in spite of me. And I ask, God, that as I preach, as I record this morning, that these words might be your word for your people in this time. And I pray, God, that as your people collectively experience and listen to this, to this liturgy, to this message, that their hearts and their meditations might indeed be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. God, a rock, God, a redeemer, God, our savior, God, our joy. All of this we pray in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And everyone typed, amen. Well, if you've been around Eastside for the last couple of weeks, you have probably come across a word that maybe is new to you, um, maybe not, but probably is at least unfamiliar, the word eunoia. It is an ancient Greek word, and one of the definitions that I really resonate with and I really deeply appreciate is beautiful thinking. And if you were with us last Sunday, then you experienced Ed Sohn beginning us on this new summer teaching series that we have given the title of this ancient Greek word. And hopefully by now, many of you have had the opportunity to pick up your prayer beads that have a bead that represent each of the spiritual fruits that we are walking through on this journey. Eunoia, this ancient word whose meaning, it points us to this These these images of of whole, of healthy, of balanced, of this sort of internal flourishing reality. This sort of healthy inner world inside of our spirits, our hearts, our minds. Beautiful thinking. Well, as the, the pandemic hit and things got sort of complicated... Uh, we wrestled as a staff, I wrestled as the minister. It's, it's kind of where to take our community in terms of teaching and preaching this summer. And what, what I kept coming back to was, was this, this text from Galatians, where the Apostle Paul speaks of the fruits of the Spirit. And lo and behold, I found out that other staff members were feeling the same kind of resonance with some time spent with a fresh encounter with the fruits of the Spirit. And Roxy, our children's minister and arts ministry director, of course, immediately dives in to see what she can find. And she, she uncovers this Greek word, eunoia, this word that means beautiful thinking. And collectively, we felt that it do, did such a beautiful and profound job of summing up where we wanted to go in this expression and exploration of the fruits of the Spirit. And I've continued to feel myself drawn to this word, not only because the word itself is, is, is just kind of a beautiful, ancient word, but the way that this phrase of beautiful thinking, the way that it sort of challenges me in my life to ask, how is my interior world? How is my internal life? Am I well-balanced? Is my thinking beautiful in this season? Because I don't think that I'm speaking out of turn when I say that for many of us, beautiful thinking right now, with the pandemic taking place, with the social unrest that is taking place in our own country, with the continued systemic oppression against people of color in this country, I think many of us right now, we may struggle with the idea of beautiful thinking, and it's easier for us to default to to fear, to to anxiety, 
Many of us may be struggling with depression right now. Some of us may be teetering on the brink even of despair. So I think potentially I was feeling drawn towards the fruits of the Spirit and then in tandem this word eunoia, probably because I was feeling in my own inner life a need, a desire to sit with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Because wherever you may find yourself on this planet in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of what's going on, the fruits of the Spirit give you tools and give you a dimension of reality that you can encounter even as we worship digitally, even as we socially distance. You can meet and interact with God's Spirit wherever you may find yourself. In our text this morning, Paul, he does as he does often. He employs a metaphor, and he loves the metaphor of organics. And we've talked about this. We did back in January, February, and March. He loves to speak to the spiritual life in relationship to the the growth of a plant, the growth of a seedling, of roots going down, of, of leaves and of branches, and ultimately of fruit. But in this morning's reading, he is speaking a word to this Galatian community, and he is drawing them intentionally out of the exterior world, out of the stuff out here, and he is saying, I want you to pull in, and I want you to look inward. And our aim over the next few months, two months at least, will be to look inward. To ask ourselves, is our thinking beautiful? What is the interior, the garden of our interior lives looking like? Where does some cultivation need to happen? Some tilling, some breaking up of some hard, dry soil? Three weeks ago, we experienced Jesus' ascension in that the wild, mind-bending story where the Christ fully ascends to the realm of God, and then the disciples are tasked to go forth into Jerusalem. And then two weeks ago, we celebrated Pentecost, that incredible, remarkable day in the book of Acts, where over 2,000 years ago, these earliest followers of the Christ in the upper room together gathered in a collective time of prayer, were told that the Spirit of God, like violently, windy, intensely comes upon them and empowers them to go out of the upper room and to proclaim the gospel message in languages they would not and should not have known. And we are told that this is an inclusive event, that it's not just for Jesus' disciples, but it's for all of the early followers of Christ, men, women, children. At Pentecost, we see the Spirit of God like an act of new creation, hearkening us back to the book of Genesis in the first creation. But here the Spirit comes and blows and works to empower and to expand resurrection, new life. The good news being translated in the languages of the diaspora of the spread out world that had gathered together for this festival. Pentecost unleashes God's Spirit in this powerful external way that empowers his followers to, in the external world, world, through word and through deed, embody the power of God, the good news. At Pentecost, we experience, we celebrate, we see the kingdom of God is indeed not just at hand, but is actually making itself known in our midst, among us, in the world. Which brings us back to Eunoia and to our reading this morning. Because 
In this text, we encounter one of Jesus' earliest ambassadors. Now, Jesus, now, Paul wasn't a part of the upper room experience. He wasn't one of Jesus' 12 disciples, but he came along later, and he felt that his unique call was to go to the Gentile communities, the non-Jewish communities out in the world. And in this morning's reading, Paul, he lets this Gentile community towards the end of the letter in on a really important reality and truth about how to live the Christian life. And wherever you may find yourself this morning, I hope that you can hear this because it's critical. Because what we remember and celebrate at Pentecost, the radical, the inbreaking of God's presence into our world through the Spirit, Pentecost is more about what takes place outside of Jesus' earliest followers as they are preaching, as they are then going forth and and living and acting in work of power embodying the good news through their deeds and their words. But Pentecost is very much so about the external world, the Spirit's interaction with emboldening and empowering the ministry. But in our text this morning, Paul, he's shifting the emphasis from the external to the internal. Because the church in Galatia, if you know anything about the Galatians, you know that they were obsessed with external rituals not least of which was a really painful circumcision practice for adult men. It doesn't get it much more external than asking folks to engage in a, in a surgery of their physical body. So when Paul gets to chapter 5, his point is that for the Gen- Galatian people, externals for the sake of externals are, are not really that helpful and they're kind of meaningless. Paul might say in our modern world, you can have a tattoo of a cross on your physical body, but if you're acting as a white supremacist, you have betrayed the very mark that you have externally displayed. Paul would say, you can wear Christianized jewelry of crosses, or you can, you can sort of like have these icono- iconographic realities outside of you, but if the way that you live your life and the person that you are underneath your skin isn't in line with what has been externalized, it's kind of meaningless. Church in Galatia, I wonder if they would have existed in the world today if they might not be obsessed with sort of like public image, with how they're viewed outside of them, how others perceived them, how, how the kind of Christians that they were was, was believed by those in their community. Because the Galatian church, they they loved external identifiers. They loved external markings, signposts that they were this or that kind of religious people. And if you understand that about them, when you get to chapter 5, when Paul speaks the fruits of the Spirit, you understand what he's doing. He's cutting right through all of the superficial junk. And Paul says... You are so concerned with the externality, with PR, with what others are saying about you or thinking about you or believing about you, but what's actually going on inside of you? What kind of internal transformation as we get beyond what we can see? What kind of heart, soul, mind level transformation are you experiencing? Paul, he is in this text, pushing this Galatian community to look inward at their own souls. 
to ask whether or not they have been tending to the transformation of the reality inside of them, of the garden of their hearts, of their inner thoughts, their inner mentality, ways of thinking. Is our thinking good, friends? Is it true? Is our thinking, our ways of thinking beautiful? Would we be terrified if our inner life existed in a glass house, right? Would we be terrified if we found that our souls were fully exposed to the exterior world? Paul's challenge is to begin to cultivate the kind of life that that wouldn't make you afraid. Yunoya, beautiful thinking. It's a call for a deep dive into our interior lives and challenges us to, to set the exteriors aside for a minute and take time to look inward at who we are and who we are becoming. And for the Christian community, the fruits of the Spirit, they give us this beautiful rubric, this beautiful way of walking through these dispositions, these internal realities, these different ways that love can be manifest inside of us and through us. Beautiful thinking, our willing cultivation of a hoped-for inner transformation that begins here, but then eventually works its way out and comes to bear on the external world as well. But Paul, with this ancient community, is, is, is telling them, is, is convicting them to say, it doesn't happen the other way around. It's not fake it till you make it. It's start here and allow transformation and metamorphosis Unoya, beautiful thinking, a good, a true, a beautiful inner life. Paul is essentially saying that our inner lives are like this garden of potential, that each of us has this capacity to participate in the gardening process of our inner life. We can plant, we can water, we can weed, we can till, we can fertilize. We can co-labor with God in who who we are and who we are becoming. And as Ed mentioned last Sunday, it all begins with this, this, this love that emanates from who God is, from eternity, Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, Creator, Sustainer, Redeemer, this, this eternal love in God's community that God is constantly inviting God's creation to enter into and to join with. The Creator is love, which means that it doesn't all just start with love, it all also ends with love. As you look at your Unoya prayer beads, you have love in the Trinity at the beginning and the tree of life pointing us to God's future. But love is the bookend because love emanates from God and God is love. So we ground, we root the entire thing in that reality. A reality that then leads us to this morning and to the fruit of joy. And I don't know about you all, but again, as I read my news feed, as I see the world as it is today, as I read the newest um, news on COVID, and then I decide not to read the newest news on COVID or the economy or this, that, or the other thing, as I look around and I see the the ongoing systemic racism and the white nationalism and the continued subjection and 
harm being done actively to our siblings of color by those who are tasked to serve and protect and to create just societies, it's really easy to get into a dark place, to not go to a place of beautiful thinking, to not go to a place that resonates with the fruits of the Spirit, to not go to a place where I'm thinking about joy. Which makes me wonder if maybe a talk about joy is exactly what we need right now. Now, I don't want to confuse joy with um, the idea of happiness. And I want to kind of dispel this myth from the beginning because I think a lot of times people conflate joy with happy, but I think they're different things, essentially. Um, I want you to be happy. I want my wife to be happy. I want my children to be happy. And quite honestly, I wish that everyone on this planet were happy. It would probably make for a lot better place to live and to be. Amen? But the truth of the world as we all experience it to varying degrees, of course, but is the reality that none of us experiences happiness all the time. Happiness is a, is a good thing. It's a good reality when we get to experience it, but it doesn't happen all the time. Happiness is, is for the most part, it's the state of being that we experience when our surrounding circumstances are such that we appropriately have these elevated feelings of well-being, of positivity, of happiness. Maybe our stressors are low in a certain season, work is going well, our family life is in, in, in a good place, we're able to pay bills, we are looking forward to a vacation. There are seasons in some people's lives where their external realities make sense that they should feel happy, right? And I wish happiness on you all. And hear me this morning, this is kind of a, sort of a side note, but I think it's important to say that if you can look around at your life and think to yourself, I should be feeling happy, but I really am not, I would just encourage you to talk to somebody, a therapist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, and just to see if maybe there's something more going on physiologically in your body, in your brain, in your mind. Because I do, I wish happiness on you all. I want you to have good lives where you experience the goodness of this world and the beauty of human thriving and relationship. But I don't really need to say this, but I'll say it anyway. The reality is that's just not the way the world is, at least right now. It's not the way that life is. Our lives, to varying degrees, are filled with challenges, good, good times and bad times, pregnancies, death, gain, loss, pandemics, ongoing racial injustice in the land of the free. There are external circumstances that, that should call us to states of pain, to grief, to suffering, to sadness, to call us to mourning. There are external realities in our lives that should call us to experience some stress, some anxiety. God has hardwired our bodies to experience some of these realities. I mean, I want my kids to have a healthy sense of fear. I don't want them to, to, to not be afraid to touch a hot burner or if they come upon a venomous copperhead snake on a trail. I don't want them to be courageous in that moment. I want them to turn around and run. Fear keeps us alive. It's a gift. Our external realities sometimes give cues to how our bodies should feel, and that's okay. But I want to say very, very clearly that in my reading, my understanding, Christian joy is something very different 
very apart from human emotions, emotions that are proper to what we may be experiencing in life. Christian joy, my friends, it's its, its own category. In my reading, joy, in the biblical sense, has, has very little to do with whatever Paul or Jesus or the disciples or the early Christians are experiencing in a given moment. A lot of them underwent great suffering. Paul talks a lot about how much suffering he experienced. But at the same time, while he's on the one hand talking about being beaten with whips and rods, he's also talking about counting it pure joy. How does he do that? What does he, what does he mean? Is he schizophrenic? Or is he talking about something else? I think if Paul was here this morning, I think if put on put on the stand and asked questions about his hope and his joy, I think many of the early Christians would speak to their leaning into a faith and a trust in the ultimate goodness of God and the ultimate goodness of the universe and that ultimately God has goodness in store for all of reality and all of humanity. And that even when we have these dark feelings of despair creeping in, the Christian has some tools that are a part of our faith tradition, that are part of our narrative, a part of our story. Our faith actually gives us a way to take on our despair. Our faith, it it gives us this, this reality, this reality of Christian hope in a story that's bigger than whatever we're experiencing right now. Our faith allows us to lean into a hope And Christian hope allows us to give birth, to experience, to see blossom, new vision, new possibility for what might be, for how God might actually do something new that would change everything forever. The Christian, kind of the the Christian baseline is this belief that the world is not cyclical, that history is not just on repeat, that we don't live in Groundhog Day, but that actually tomorrow can be different than today. That you can co-labor, you can partner with the divine, and you can participate in changing the trajectory of your life and your future and the life and the future of this planet. Faith fuels our hope, and I would argue that it's our hope in God's future possibility that life can get better, that life can be different. That that can give way, that can give way to this transcendent joy. And I think about it visually, I think about joy as God and God's future world. The tree of life at the end of the prayer beads when all's been made new. And I think about that reality, finding its way, breaking backwards into our present reality and giving us this transcendent sense that even though it doesn't feel like everything's gonna be okay, in God's time and in God's world and in God's goodness and in God's love, ultimately it's going to be. And because of that, we battle despair with hope and we battle despair with a joy that stands outside of ourselves, that is a gift from the divine. And it means that we have this remarkable capacity to develop inside of us the ability to do as Paul says. He says, mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. 
Paul's challenging the early Christians to have this deep inner capacity to sit with people where they are. To walk into one hospital room where somebody just lost somebody and to cry with them. And then to walk across the hallway to a different hospital room where somebody just gave birth to their first child and to rejoice with them. All within a matter of minutes. But that kind of that kind of ability to sit with people in their pain and in their joy and in their happiness, that takes inner work on our parts. That, that requires this eunoia cultivation of ourselves to be deep and to be wide people who can do that kind of work for one another and for this world. To not fall complete prey as we're doing work of justice, as we're doing the work of looking the world in the eye, seeing it unveiled as dark as it is, for to not swallow us up, friends, for to not swallow you up. Do you have joy? Do you have a faith that gives way to a hope that allows God's transcendent reality of joy to, in a supernatural, in a mind-bending kind of way, give us this transcendent sense that even though we can read the headlines, we can still lean into and trust into a God who is good and a God who will not leave this universe, will not leave any human being before God has fully had God's good way with all of it. You know, Dr. King generally seemed like a pretty serious guy, I think. Um, But they tell stories about when he would go home at night, or I've been out of town for a while, he, he would take his little children and put them on top of the refrigerator and then encourage them to jump off said refrigerator into his arms. And his wife, of course, did not appreciate this because she thought he was going to um, drop one of them or something. But I just think about Dr. King and the intensity of the work that he did and at the same time the importance of these glimpses and these moments of pure joy putting a kid on top of a refrigerator and letting them jump off into their daddy's arms. In our lives, friends, we cannot just do the hard stuff all the time. We have to have ways of coming up for air. If we're at a funeral and there's a beautiful family or a child looking up, looking at a flower, I don't know, how do we... How do we be fully present with the grief, but also fully present with the goodness and the beauty that is in our midst? We are called to be a people of depth and width, with big hearts that can reach in both directions and that can hold it all together at the same time. So may we be a people of joy, my friends. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Amen. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed this week's message, and we look forward to seeing you soon. If you listen from afar and you would like to support the work that we are doing in East Atlanta and on Atlanta's east side, you can visit our website, www.eastsideatl.org, and find our giving portal there.